0: Web 3 With Me is a discussion style podcast about the ins and outs of Web 3.0, hosted by Zach French, known as Off Edge in the verse. From crypto to NFTs, DAOs to DeFi, we cover the abstract philosophical promises and the new business models enabled in this new decentralized world. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or watch the show on YouTube. Thanks and enjoy.
1: Zach French is a bar certified attorney, and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to Web3 with me. It is our mission here to educate, and we realize that some basics of Web3, like WTF is a digital wallet, might be helpful for you to know. We will be releasing a series of short videos on YouTube and Reels to help cover these high level topics. We hope they're useful for us and feel free to leave us feedback. My guest today is Marlon Williams, founder of Atlanta Blockchain Center. Marlon is a serial entrepreneur starting and selling his first business at 25. He currently operates four different successful businesses. His company Starter Labs has helped raise over $45 million for blockchain startups and is the parent company for Atlanta Blockchain Center. We also get the tea on Immutable, the conference that will put Atlanta on the map. This episode is a powerful one because Marlon's mission of making Atlanta a blockchain hub is near and dear to my own heart. And he and his team have supported the growth of this show tremendously. LFG baby, let's start vibing.
1: Welcome to the show Marlon. Thanks for having me. It only took us, uh, what, two months to make this happen? I would say closer to like four or five months,
0: but it's okay. It's okay. All, all that matters is that we eventually made it happen. We have spent uh, a lot of time together. Uh, I've gotten to know you pretty well uh, and love what you're doing in Atlanta. I can't wait to share it with the audience. Um, so, you know, as long as we're recording at some point, that's all that matters. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Um, I usually start these interviews off with uh, the same opening question to let the audience get to know you a little bit better. So um, we can start with your founding story. uh, It doesn't have to be Web3 related. Just kind of letting people know what makes Marlon Marlon.
1: Oh, man. Uh, Maybe because I was born in the Caribbean. So we, you know, um, by definition come from, you know, small shacks, galvanized roofs, Kerosene lamps. <laughs> so coming to this country was like, wow. You know, there's streetlights. There are, street lights, there are uh, brick homes. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I think that's, that's essentially it. I have a different perspective and view of the world just because of my uh, upbringing in the Caribbean. So I think that that's at the core. That's really what it is. It kind of explains everything else that's interesting. Can you elaborate a little bit well i uh I think I appreciate things a bit more um, and this isn't to say anything bad about you know natural born citizens, uh, but you know being in poverty in the Caribbean is um, slightly different than in the US. So we get to just find a, a way to survive. You know, my family grew up on a lot of natural foods that they grew in the gardens. Uh I remember picking, you know, mangoes and tamarind, um, canips. These are things that we <laughs> As kids would just go around picking off of a tree. If you wanted a snack, it's a tree right there. Go get it. It's not a pantry. There's a tree. <laughs> right. It's not a pantry. It's an actual tree, you know, <laughs> that you have to climb. And there's some coconuts, and, which is pretty cool. I actually appreciate that experience.
0: Yeah, it's, it sounds like it was very formative for you. Um, and also motivating. Uh, I, I can't say that I've ever met anybody that's grown up in, in poverty in the Caribbean. Um, I've met people who have come from other countries uh, and uh, you know grew up in lower, lower socioeconomic areas. Uh, and, and there does seem to be kind of a chip on your shoulder when you come to America, where everything just seems so open and Free, if you will, and uh, for the most part, uh, there are a lot of support systems there. Now we can argue the adequacy of those, uh, maybe not for for this show, uh, but maybe for Web three one day to help with. Um, but it's just there's a different mentality uh, that that at least I've noticed. Uh, the people that were not born here and then come here, um, and then they they just they just seize opportunity better uh, when they get here. So I guess. Transitioning from your experience there um, and moving, were you, were, did you move directly to Miami? I know you're from Miami or had spent a no, long time in Miami. No, no.
1: no but just to, to add to your, <laughs> to your comment there, I think, imagine growing up hearing, you know, the United States is, is, is essentially the land of opportunity and anyone that gets to go there, it's like one of the, the most amazing feats that you would ever accomplish in your life. So as a, as, a, as a kid, I mean, that's what we're constantly hearing, you know, in, in, in our culture. It's like, this is the land of the free, home of the brave. This is where all the amazing things happen. This is where you go to get rich. This is it. This is that. Uh, so most certainly when you arrive, it's like a blessing, right? And you're going to do the best that you can to take advantage of it. Uh, but no, my story is a little interesting because I grew up with... with My grandmother and my father, Uh, my mom was a model and, uh, you know, she would go throughout these islands modeling. And she met a Harvard professor in uh, a neighboring island called Montserrat. And they ended up getting married. And uh, he was a Harvard professor, as I said, just teaching uh, biology at Harvard. And they moved to Boston. And after my grandmother's passing, my mom came back to get me. So that's how I ended up in the country. So we lived in Boston for, you know, gosh, five years or so, so we went the school in Boston, elementary school. It was actually my ninth birthday was two days later. It was snowing. I had never seen snow before, and it was just—I was wild. It's like, holy cow, this is this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need about six more jackets. <laughs> you know, it was a lot of fun, and and uh, I made a lot of friends there, and just. I spent five years there. And then, um, you know, at 13, I moved to Miami and I've been in Miami ever since. Yeah. And uh, I
0: guess when you moved to Miami at 13, um, at that point, uh, was your mindset shifting towards being an entrepreneur already? Uh, I know that you have a bunch of successful businesses now. Um, what, when, when did you start to feel that kind of itch to, to create and build? And be a builder
1: um, actually i uh, I was introduced to um, let's say seventeen or so 17, 18, because I, I was introduced to computer programming uh, through a, a vocational course called um, uh, business and Software Applications and you know I figured I'd just try it out and I ended up enjoying it you know because we we were taught. Programming and Visual Basic and Java uh, for half of the course. And the other half were taught basic principles of business, sales marketing, you know, bookkeeping 101, that sort of stuff. Basic business law. And, you know, I'm 16. So I'm like, wow, this is this is uh, pretty interesting stuff. And I enjoyed learning, um, especially the programming side. Uh, and the more and more I got into it, I mean, I started getting addicted <laughs> to programming because every time I wrote something in the computer it would respond with what I'm telling it to do. And it was a very exhilarating kind of feeling. So I started immersing myself in <clears throat> um, programming more and more, you know, started reading outside of the class, you know, and this is 1999. So Bill Gates is, uh, you know, top top of the world, Microsoft's doing their thing. Uh, Apple's kind of, Figuring things out. Um, but nevertheless, they had a pretty significant impact uh, on the industry at that point. And, you know, I'm learning Windows 95 and Office and programming and VBA, which is Visual Basic for Applications, um, you know, Microsoft Access and a bunch of other stuff. And I, it was just so cool to have all this technology at my disposal, but the programming is really what. Caught my attention. So, as I started digging deeper and deeper and spending months reading, I got to a point where that's pretty much all I wanted to do was just read about programming or software developers, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial de- software developers, um, and it <laughs> became this addiction. So, when I when I finished the course, I told the professor, I said, "Look." I, I know what I want to do. I just want to be, I literally said, said this, I said, I just want to be a successful software businessman. That's it. <laughs> I don't want to be anything else. So at this point, I'm 17. And um, that's when I kind of figured it out. You know, that's, that's how it begun.
0: That's, that is like highly unusual for a 17 year old <laughs> to, to have that level of conviction. I think uh, there are a lot of people in their, 30s uh, that are still trying to figure out exactly what their purpose in life is uh, in terms of career and, and, and things like that. So you have this conviction early. You know you want to build. It's, it's about the fact that you can build your own rules, right, and, and make the computer or the software do what you're telling it to do. Um, what was the first thing you shipped? I'm interested. Do you remember?
1: Oh, man. Um, Well, from the course or just independently? Independently. Um, The first thing I shipped um, in production, I would say, it it was this medical software application. Um, Because everything else prior to that was just mostly experiments and playing around. It wasn't anything production level. But some, the first thing I shipped came a few years later, so maybe three years later. And the way that that came about, you know, I, um, when I was 18, I started going to Miami Dade College uh, for computer information systems. And was acing, you know, introduction to C++, I mean, I'm acing these things, right? Because it's, it's easy at this point, having gone through the, the vocational path. And um, uh, I started looking for a job the second year. it was, Miami-Dade was a community college back then. Now it's you know one of the biggest um, four-year colleges in, in Miami. But uh, I started looking for a job in software development. And I got hired by a startup in Fort Lauderdale. It was interesting because the two uh, the two founders worked across the street at Motorola. <laughs> they just opened an office right across the street from their job. <laughs> they started staffing people. They had a sales guy first, <laughs> and then they were looking for a junior developer. And they found my resume and they liked me for my, you know, uh, at least my education at the at the time because I had no prior experience and. You know, they would walk across the street literally at lunchtime every day and harass us, but uh, it was a pretty interesting experience because for me, you know, um, one, it was my first job in development, and two, it kind of utilized the skills that I had, which I was very strong in software development and preferred coding, but because in the vocation, of course, I took the – uh, sort of soft skills, I was able to communicate with customers and support and partial sales and so forth, right? Uh, but I stayed there for about a year and a half or so. Uh, went to another, at that point, it was very easy for me to find jobs in development. So get got hired at a, as a senior software developer in uh, Miami Lakes, a pretty large call center. And that's all we're doing. It was no interacting with customers. It was nothing. It was just straight up coding. Um, so I missed the kind of first jobs interaction with, with customers and decided to build something similar. So that was really the first thing that I shipped, was a competitor to my first job. Nice, nice. And
0: uh, did you, I guess, are, are you still involved in, in that business?
1: Um, no, no, no. It was, it was acquired... Uh, it was acquired back in 2008 by them actually because we went through this whole lawsuit and so on so
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they did end up
0: acquiring it <laughs> exactly <laughs> That's awesome so you 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 realize though during this you're you're building you know what is making Marlin Marlin and today and that is that you have this like rare ability which I think a lot of tech entrepreneurs and VCs like strive to find which is like you can code and you can talk to people right (laughs) Right. i mean that's that those are i'm i'm a furious follower of Naval ravikant um he he basically boils it down to if you have those two skills or if you have one of those skills you should learn the other one you can do pretty much whatever you want yeah Um, i agree i agree that, that is it's it's unique it's unique uh and 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 it's It's hard to pick up the programming later in life because of the monotonous practice that it takes to learn how to do it. It's not like someone just picks up a keyboard and is like, I got this, right? Like they may self-teach themselves, but but it takes repetitions, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. The earlier you can get in, the better. That's what I'd recommend to anyone. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So uh we fast forward a little bit. Uh you've you start and sold a successful business. Um you are, you know, in two thousand eight. I get. I'm assuming you're around like, uh, you know, like 25, 30 years old. Um, and yeah, twenty five years old, which is you know insane in and of itself. That so you've already sold a business at that point. Uh, and then you start to look into new things. I assume. Um, what what was your what was your
1: trajectory like then? Well, <laughs> the interesting thing is that. I ran that company in the as, as a moonlighting operation, because I that I stated the, the first job. I mean that that was what gave me the the funding really to pay for the servers. And back then it was you had to you know have servers in on premises, right? So everything was on- no cloud, <laughs> no cloud. There's no cloud at all. I literally had to configure all of um, the Linux servers that I was using to re- record. Uh, Physician conversations and connect with the telephony infrastructure and so forth Uh, and T1s and all these uh, telecom uh, Devices and endpoints, so that funding needed to come from somewhere and it was my day job right Uh, As a developer, so I was building this thing from 2003 to 2008 in the evening run it in the evening um A lot of stuff spilled over at work, of course, I would get calls during my job but in any in any event um, so i'm five years into my day job now when I sold my medical software startup, and at about twenty five years old uh, when my boss found out you know um, I got promoted to run the i t department at the company and I did that for uh, another five years, but you know, in between, I would um, be trying different things at night. <laughs> Always iterating. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's how I found out about uh, blockchain, and um, and then I started building a call center tech company called Cubicles. It was called Fanero back then, uh, but essentially i stayed in you know what we would call corporate america for the next five years i have 10 years of experience working at a company um in corporate and in the evenings is really when i uh did a lot of my entrepreneurial activity so that's sort of how it uh it (laughs) went down
0: so let's talk about the blockchain. What was your entry point? What what was your inflection point where you started looking into it and then went down the rabbit hole, as we like to say?
1: So it was interesting because as <clears throat> um, I was a director of information services now at this company, and I like being on top of my game, competitive and so forth, right? So, um, you know, back then there were I think TechCrunch was very early, but there was um, like InfoWeek and, and a few other, uh, like Slashdot and other publications. So I found out about Bitcoin when it was initially announced, maybe a couple months later. Um, I wanna say early 2000 and 2009. Uh, and, and as a developer at that point, I had written a lot of applications for the company I worked for. They had a lot of Fortune 500 companies as clients, and I'd written applications for uh, Procter & Gamble, for the Marines, for, you know, all sorts, and uh, White Castle, and you name it. Um, So with the order processing systems, whenever I wrote code that would would have e-commerce functionality, the payment portion was always... Uh, difficult, or um, it wasn't as seamless as it could be because you had to integrate all these APIs into the into your your, your product. Uh, so we knew, like a, a lot of developers knew that ultimately there would be a way to process payments intrinsically, right over over the web, without all of these intermediaries like authorized.net and all these other APIs that you could use into your platform for um, payment processing. So when I found out about uh, Bitcoin, I wasn't surprised that um, you know, something like that was, was you know, being tested because there were you know, some prior attempts at creating something like Bitcoin, but it was the one that kind of got a lot of traction Right. So I just followed along for the next, you know, three, three years or so. Um, what, one thing I did do very early on was uh, I told one of my network administrators at the company to set up a small miner. You know, so we used the server, put Bitcoin on there, started playing around with it. Uh, and he, he said it paid off his college tuition. It's like, Marlon, thank you so much for. Wow. Introducing cool. me. But my, my mind, and if anyone tells you that they knew that Bitcoin was going to be what it is today, I would argue that that's false. Because, in, you know, my mind personally, it was in building a very successful, large cloud-based software company. It was still very much into, you know, enterprise software and trying to create the next sales force, right? Um, and I believe most of the tech entrepreneurs then back then were. There were a few who uh, saw Bitcoin and kind of went all in. That's they're very rare to find. Um, but <clears throat> I slowly got more and more involved over time. And when I left the company, my day job in 2013, that's when I was you know fully independent. Right, I'm no longer like my time is my time, and I just, you know spent it however I. Decided to, but I left the company to launch my call center software company. Um, and that's when I got more involved in Bitcoin. That's when I started getting more vocal about it. I started emailing some friends. I think the uh, uh, the market cap back then was about um, I think it was like a 1.2 billion or something. And um, a couple, it was, it's like a a hundred and twenty bucks or hundred and forty bucks for Bitcoin, and I just started getting more active in terms of <clears throat> following along. Uh, I got goxed because I had bitcoins on on GOx
0: <laughs>
1: But my it was still sort of just this I, I never thought about building an I, I wish I did think about building an exchange because I certainly had the skills to do it myself. Uh, but I didn't think about building an exchange. I didn't think about creating a wallet, right? Uh, I was thinking about my startup, my enterprise software company. Again, trying to get that to be the next Salesforce, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, my pattern has always been, I had, I had, you know, the the core of what I did on a daily basis was what most of us would be would consider. Our nine to five, right? But in the evenings, that's when I always experimented with things and played around, I tried different ideas. Uh, even for the call center tech company I built, I started doing most of the code in the evening for that because I still had this day job. And not only that, I was a director, so I was running the IT department, which you know increased the demand for my time. So I built my, <clears throat> the company I left <clears throat> to run full time in 2013, was built uh, moonlighting as well. So now that I'm doing that full time, you know my blockchain uh, curiosity and uh, experiments took the the, the moonlighting <laughs> role. So while I'm running my my software startup during the day, I'm playing around with you know blockchain uh, at night and when ethereum was announced that was when i really got more involved because there i saw and of course there were attempts to create um your own tokens and so forth on bitcoin like i think omni did it there's peercoin mastercoin but when ethereum came out it really created this framework that allowed you to really create your own economy and token on uh, on the blockchain so it became a bit more serious I, t- I took it more serious and started planning around with smart contracts kind of learning how the whole thing works um, so that was how I got into into blockchain really started more in 2013 ish gotcha that makes sense it's uh, it's it is
0: uh, I, I agree with you I imagine anybody that would like picked up bitcoin and uh the the white paper in 09 uh and told you that that they were going to dedicate their whole life to this thing like maybe like three people did that you know (laughs) it's it's always easier in retrospect to be like yeah yeah yeah, totally new um (laughs) uh, i mean you do hear a lot of the stories though where people have gone through the cycles Right. And they may have left during some of these cycles. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, 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 uh, th- but they eventually came back. Right. Because there is this kind of, uh, unifying underlying philosophy that has like started to permeate because of this technology. Um, that, you know, people start to follow it as an ideal as much as a technology. Uh, which is is very cool. So you're building SaaS B two B software at, at that point, right? Like I think we're in the SaaS ages at that point. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. subscriptions. Finally, uh, you're not shipping new discs to anybody uh, right. for them to update the software, uh, and, and you are starting to take smart contracts more seriously. So let's let's fast forward. Let's talk about uh, your first venture. Uh, that you started that was web 3 as we call it now you probably didn't call it that then um, but you know your first blockchain based uh, business when when was that
1: um, well it was actually um, an, an attempt to incorporate blockchain into my existing call center business so it wasn't I never created a Uh, Blockchain business separately as my first sort of go to market uh, in the space. It was um, figuring out ways to rethink how the call center industry works from a staffing perspective. Uh, I had mostly focused on the technology infrastructure, meaning, you know, I built uh, dialer software. Um, call routing software, chat software, um, you know, software that facilitates communication between customers and their service providers. So when you call into Bank of America and you hear that um, interactive response, <coughs> um, it's that's the kind of software that I built at my company, and um, so we we always provided the technology component that a business would need to service their customers for sales support, um, et cetera. So you started thinking about um, the staffing aspect of the call center space, right? I re- recall a lot of the problems that call center agents had. It dealt with um, proper compensation, um, just the job being sort of monotonous and it just wasn't exciting for them. You know, majority of calls center agents, there's a huge churn in that industry. And the majority of them just not happy with their jobs. And, uh, so it was really studying, you know, trying to figure out if there was a science behind why because obviously that results in dissatisfied customers. These are the people who are the front lines of your organization, and they're responsible for a significant part of your uh, revenue and customer satisfaction. So I thought that incorporating um, an incentive engine, so replacing the supervisor as you know, um, the source of truth for your compensation, for your rewards and bonuses and so forth. If you would do that with uh, smart contracts instead, it could streamline uh, the call center uh, industry, at least from, you know, staffing perspective. So that's what I started building. What year is this? Uh, This was 2016. Okay. So we're not quite ICO boom
0: level, but uh, yeah, people, yeah, people yeah. are starting to build dApps on right. Ethereum. Yeah, right. yeah,
1: yeah, Started, started uh, playing around with that idea then. Um, so that was the, and, and then started incorporating that, uh, you know, pieces of it into the platform. So it was the first sort of commercial integration of blockchain into anything that I did outside of my moonlighting experiments. The uh, <clears throat> the first blockchain, independent blockchain.
0: Um, can, I, can I ask a question about that? Sure. Um, how did your customers take that news or that offer, I guess, um, once you started to build it? Was it, uh, and, and how did you frame it, right? This is early days blockchain. I don't know if we have a, a bad name for blockchain yet because maybe nobody knows what it is. Um, but how how did you actually like frame that new product offering for your customers?
1: How did they take it? They uh, <clears throat> didn't quite understand. <clears throat> um, you know, a couple sort of got it, but it was very difficult. Excuse me. <clears throat> it was very difficult to explain, even for me. And I... <laughs> I think I'm pretty good at breaking down technical to non-technical people. Been doing it for a few years at that point. Exactly. So you know, ultimately the um, <clears throat> the, the the pitch was focused on the organization, the initial pitch, which was, um, as a call center, you're spending a lot of resources, a lot of uh, capital paying agents for idle time, right? So they're sitting there idle most of the time. And when they're not on a call, you still have to compensate that. What if you could reallocate their idle time and share it in a network so that other companies could use their talent and you get a portion of the, the pay. That was the enterprise pitch. Um, <clears throat> because, you know, I was trying to figure out a good angle into the the organizations. I thought that would be the, the best way, which is essentially selling your paid staffs idle time in a decentralized network. Um, but in reality, with the core mission was was to address this staffing and (laughs) customer and employee dissatisfaction issue that's a huge issue that i felt if anyone can solve it then it would be a pretty pretty significant and successful uh, organization right so that's how i framed the entire thing um and again to a couple they 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 kind of got it in that way you know but they weren't really sold on that ideas as much so that's you know <laughs> that, that was pretty early it was that was very early it's arguably especially in that industry there's no one that has built a even attempt to build any sort of blockchain integration um to help address the issue of, you know, high agent attrition and just dissatisfied customers. Uh, so it's, it's still a problem. It's still a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, yeah, if, after you spend so much time <clears throat> in an industry, you know, kind of get burnt out sometimes, you know, um, it's boring. I started enjoying the blockchain um, development side more and and the challenges there than trying to solve, you know, ages old problem of call centers and customer dissatisfaction and agent attrition, which, um, you know, still a a problem that needs to be solved. It's just one of those things from my perspective that it wasn't the right time, but I have a, an amazing product. The um, you know, company's still around, offering the uh, core call center tech that we started back in 2013. But the blockchain component um, and the entire sort of lease your staff's time to a decentralized network, and then you know um, compensate agents based off of their on-chain metrics. That still hasn't caught in, caught, caught traction yet. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. Yeah, so when I'm thinking about what quantitative measurements uh, you could use and and put on chain uh, in order for that to be measurable, right? Oh, I, yeah, I've, I have all of that defined. I know it very well. Yeah, I figured you have. <laughs> you didn't. Oh, you man. didn't just talk about
1: it. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful work of art. I mean, what I built is really, really an amazing it it's like i just love you know in terms of like software and products and creating one of those things is just a a beautiful um i don't, I don't know how to explain it i think it's how it's like an artist and how they see their work in the end <laughs> you know although knowing you know a lot of people don't see the value yet i think it's it's certainly going to be um a huge issue in the future where a product like this could solve. I love that analogy, actually. It's I mean, uh, you
0: you're already building it when we when we're talking earlier about uh, falling in love with with coding because you are creating, uh, you are are building your own little world in a way. Right. That like follows the rules of your your code. Uh, and, and now you have this product that you have so much conviction in, um, that, you know, is good, but the market's not ready for it yet. Right. right. And, and you aren't, you know, it's on the shelf per se. Right. Oh. Uh, but like, it's not like you walked away from it and you're like, that was a bad idea. I shouldn't have done that. You, you oh, just, you nice. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd still have confidence in it. It's nice, man. I, I can imagine with the, with the artists, uh, they go through the same thing. Like maybe their art style. At this point, uh, and I'm speaking of digital art pre NFT boom, right? Uh, is just something on Flickr or something you share on Instagram. But um, there is an unlock moment, and I think your you know you, your idea is that it will eventually unlock, right? And people will see the alignment between. These core problems that I'm sure every single person that is in your business uh, uh, sells on, right? These pain points. Or do you have issues with call center retention? Do you have issues with customer satisfaction? Right? Like people are still selling on those pain points. They just aren't ready for it to be solved uh, the way that you're solving it. So that is that's really cool. So uh, you, you you're doing that. You're still you're still running that business. Um, when does Starter Labs come in, and can you explain a little bit to the audience about what Starter Labs is?
1: Well, there's a lot that happened between then and Starter Labs, but uh, you know, the the I'll, I'll quickly kind of walk through um, through what transpired during that gap. But I uh, again got more and more involved in. Um, just the blockchain space—it's starting to take up a lot of my time in in the evenings, and you know, I'm finding myself in different groups and 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 organizations um, that are experimenting with different ideas. And um, now in 2017, there's just ICO boom. There's a ton of different projects. There are. Um, are you participating in this, by the way? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: okay, so you are you're 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 buying some of these ICOs, right? Right, gotcha, yeah.
1: gotcha. Um, and there uh there were just a ton of a ton of different projects, you know. And my my <clears throat> my uh, my view was was or preference was always projects who were you know trying to solve uh, issues with scalability because I always, again at that time, had a um, a view of an enterprise and SaaS and cloud, right? So it was, you know, what blockchain could I use to actually build a large scale application? And um, Ethereum showed at the time that that wasn't it. So there are a lot of other ideas like EOS, that um, try to address those problems, right? So I'll kind of fast forward to that because I know we're running out of time, but essentially I got more involved in the EOS ecosystem. And uh, um, at launch, you know, things didn't go quite as planned. I mean, the software is very performant, um, but there were some flaws with just, you know, delegated proof of stake where it's proof of stake network And, you know, you could essentially give someone else, could hold your, you can continue to self-custody your tokens, but you could um, delegate the power of those tokens to someone else, uh, thereby giving them more power. Um, So that caused a lot of issues with the EOS network. And a group of guys uh, and I, we decided to, launch our own um so we worked together with a little over 100 contributors and we built um our own blockchain called telos which is still around today and actually doing pretty well to address some of the issues Mm -hmm. that we felt that eos uh, had how did you find these contributors just as we're part of the we're all um XEOS guys at the time essentially. <laughs> uh-huh. So you were like were you in a
0: Discord or like uh like w- how were you communicating and stuff at that
1: point? Yeah it was it no Discord wasn't uh uh Discord really wasn't that that big back then. So it's mostly yeah. um telegram. Okay. Yeah. Mostly telegram. So <clears throat> fast forward we you know launched Telos. I built the um the official wallet for it, uh, called Squirrel, um, helped contribute to some of the, the chain code. Uh, I was actually the co-chair of the software uh, working group. We organized into different working groups. It was marketing, software. It was this, that, and um, were you were you off- helping organize them? I'm actually fascinated by this
0: communal like to to take a hundred people to build something. Um, how are you like? A, was it kind of your vision in terms of like we need this working group we need
1: this working group no it was it was collective decision making right Hmm. um and because we had a i think the, the the hardest part was initially getting convincing people that they need to join us and not um not eos because it was going in the wrong direction that was the toughest part and then You know, as more and more people got on board, they saw the vision. Um, Some of the concerns started materializing on the EOS side. You know, uh, it was an easier sell to get more people on board. But then, you know, we had um, marketers, community builders, people who've done some of this stuff in the past join and, you know, materially contributed their skills in that way, say, hey, we should organize in this way. We should. So it wasn't it was it was it was uh, certainly collective. um, It was a DAO before DAOs were really popular, you know, so that's essentially how we um, we self-organized. But so we launched that uh, Had a great launch. Had haven't been down a single time to this
0: day. 100% Hundred percent uptime. One of the best use cases for blockchain, unless <laughs> right. you're
1: unless you're Solana. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was. I didn't want to say no names. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and um, so at, at, at this point, you know, I now I'm doing you know call center business, um, lo- helping to launch Telos and, and, and evenings mostly, and um, after launch. I started, uh, we're all trying to figure out how to help, you know, promote the chain. So We'd use our, our own network and personal connections to bring into the, the ecosystem. Uh, for example, I brought in Michael Turpin and a few other people, um, you know, that have been in the industry for a while as well. So we're all just contributing at that after launch to the business development of the uh, chain. Of course, we're still managing the, um, and operating the the chain as well. And, uh, now it's, you know, 2000 and, uh, uh, 2018, we launched end of 2018, um, 2019, there were more projects that were sort of like wax that were sort of getting off of of ethereum and come in, trying to figure out to build their own chain excuse me <clears throat> and <clears throat> because of you know some some connections and um mutual mutual friends you know i got into wax i helped them um i became the chair of their uh new new department they called oig which is officer and inspector general. It's essentially setting and establishing the rules for, you know, the node operation for the, the wax blockchain. Right? How how a node operator is compensated? Um, you know, what what are the structures, what are the best practices that they need to apply? You know, how fast does a server need to be able to process blocks minimally to be considered um, a, a valid operator? There's so many rules that. You know uh we we put together so myself and two other uh guys established those initial rules that runs the wax block wax blockchain today and um you know started seeing more like ethereum started getting getting back into uh into play with some DeFi experiments like ave um and um, compound. and So this is now, you know, late 2019. Um, and then you hear um, rumors about other new chains coming out like Solana, uh, so you started looking at Solana. At this point, by the way, it had established a, a separate company called Zenblocks that focuses on node operations and developing cryptocurrency wallets. If you go to ZenBlocks.io, it's actually my blockchain operations company. Um, so we we started supporting different blockchains. We started this new chain started coming out, like FIO and and others, and we would we would get into the the um, into those organizations and would help them out. As Ethereum start, DeFi started getting more traction, I started looking at uh, ways that I could leverage the traction coming back to Ethereum into the blockchains that I was supporting, like Telos and FIO and others. And um, it became interesting because there were just a lot of experiments with decentralized finance happening now this is like early 2020 um Solana wasn't out yet it actually joined the Solana uh testnet I was one of the early uh, my company <coughs> Zenblocks was one of the early uh node operators on Solana testnet and you know we just we had had our hands in so many things at that point and again for me it was um it started moonlighting, but then it started slowly seeping over into my day-to-day work. So that my day-to-day work, I started offloading some of those responsibilities to my team at the call center software company and started sort of doing less of that and then letting my team run it, right? And I'm doing more and more and more uh, blockchain-based work. Um, so DeFi 2020... I, Again, the experience with with various protocols was ongoing. I started creating some myself, just um, seeing what uh, you know what the rave was all about, and just to kind of learn how it works on 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 the inside. And around this time, that's when the DeFi boom started happening. This is like summer 2020, DeFi summer. Yep. Five summer. So, DeFi summer, and then around the fall, it, so many crazy things that happened just within those two three months that um, it was just concerning. I mean, people were getting rugged. There were fake projects being created. Uh, Ethereum started showing signs of slowing down again, having performance issues because of all of the activity in DeFi that was happening. Which caused a lot of the new uh, EVM based chains in particular to thrive. So we saw chains like Binance Smart Chain um, and any chain that supported, you know, you have Polygon and so forth. Any chain that supported EVM really started taking some of the total value from Ethereum and users from Ethereum. Um, But, you know, as these chains, started growing with traction there was a ton of fraud and and bad actors came came along with it and that's where the idea from for starter came from you know we figured if a new chain is launching and it had a decentralized launch pad where its users could come to find good product uh projects and investors could um I'm sorry developers could could find investors then it would reduce the likelihood of all of this fraudulent activity that was happening so i created an initial version of starter um, in a very very neat way but effectively it was <coughs> created to be a kickstarter for new evm chains and um I launched it on Binance Smart Chain um, over a weekend. And it just, oh, you know, just just like weekend, <laughs> like twenty thousand people signed up. Like by the way. <laughs> it just, literally, just went like this. Yeah, and it was just one of those things that was uh, right product at the right time. Marlin,
0: the original Moon Boy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So that was started. And then, you know, we um, grew so fast. I mean, we had a ton of uh, investors join the network. We had a ton of developers join the network looking for funding. Um, and over time, you know, we ended up helping projects raise uh, over 45 million through our platform. Um, you know, we took a percentage of all the raises, obviously. But we also started offering supporting services like marketing, community building, you know, development, tokenomics, um, advisory, and we became this one-stop shop for launching and funding uh, projects. And so much so that you know, by the end of twenty-one, uh, Q four twenty-one, um, there's this site called CryptoGraph. This is they rank projects, they ranked different things in, in crypto, they ranked uh, Starter as the number one launch pad in the entire industry, just based off of the ROI for the projects that went through. Um, now, of course, we're in this bear market now and any, you know, most tokens are down 90 plus percent. Uh, but you know, that's how quickly we had, uh, had built Starter. Um, you know, during the the last bull market. Yeah, within the last couple of years. Right. Uh, uh, And
0: and saw it grow very quickly. Um, So I guess, um, you know, you've got Starter. Starter's doing well. At this point, it's not a a bear market yet. Um, When does the idea for Atlanta Blockchain Center, which is how we know each other, pop into your head?
1: (laughs) Well... I, I try to think ahead as much as possible, right? Like we can't predict the future, um, but we can certainly contribute to creating it. And uh, I knew that just based off of historical data, um, the bear market or a bear market will come. It always does. And a bull with, will ensue and then a bear. And then, you know, at some point, Perhaps as the industry matures, the pattern will change. But based off of the last three, uh, this is most likely to happen again. And I started planning as such, right, meaning, you know, sort of thinking about um, different ways to expand our offerings and services and the things that we did um, so we built at this point, you know, I had 18 employees working at Starter. We um, built, you know, six developers on the team. So I'm no longer doing all of the coding. I would do a lot of the code reviews and so forth. But I started directing the dev team to um, to build NFT launchpad. Uh, started directing them to build a GameFi product called Starchy, which is really, really great. What we've done there. Um, You know, and <laughs> I started looking at real-world uh, applications. So what can we do, you know, in the real world that complements everything that we're doing in a decentralized world, uh, which is something like ABC. But it never pulled the trigger. Um, but it was a desire, and I knew that in order to establish ourselves for the long term as a launch pad for blockchain based projects, it would behoove us to have an in-person presence somewhere. Uh, Again one of those things with timing, right time, right product. You know, at this point I'm looking at other places to live mostly for family reasons and we we're considering Atlanta had been to Atlanta obviously Miami's only an hour and a half away um, she so kind of knew a bit about it uh, I joined some of the blockchain meet, meetups that they had back in you know pre-pandemic uh, days and would come here back and forth but never really looked at it from an economics perspective right and whatever I do anything as an entrepreneur, I'd love to understand the market. I'd love to understand, um, uh, you know, the fundamentals be like outside of whatever product or idea that I have. Right. So I started looking at Atlanta in that sense, like, what is this city? What is, what's unique about it? What, and started discovering those amazing stats that we are all aware of like the fintech capital and 70% of financial transactions being processed through this infrastructure. Um, 16 or 17 of fortune 500 companies have, you know, headquartered in uh, Metro Atlanta. Um, ATL Hartsfield being the busiest airport in the world. Number one, Georgia tech, number four engineering school, um, you know, in, in the country. And these are stats that, Blows out a lot of other cities. I'm not going to be specific about which ones, but you know, I was just <laughs> blown away, right. you know. Right. And, and then so, so it Atlanta confirmed to me that it's a great place to build, especially you know, if you're an entrepreneur and especially if you're in tech. But the second most important metric was its lack of a real blockchain a cohesive blockchain community right and coming from Miami I mean whenever I go back home I mean there's just too many things to do. I get invited to so many things I, I don't tell certain people that I'm coming back because <laughs> you don't want to feel everyone bad. wants to see me. They want me to come here or come there and it's just too many things happening in crypto in Miami. Saturated. Yeah. So here's this city with these amazing stats as, as an economy. Um, here's this city that is a fintech capital of the country and arguably the world in terms of, you know, the activity the payment transactions and the presence of fintech companies headquartered here. And then here's this city that um, isn't prioritizing blockchain in any material capacity. So I said, damn, that idea for having an in-person incubator, this is the best place to do it. And that's essentially how the Blockchain Center came to be. I remember uh,
0: receiving the article, my friend sends me as I'm getting into web three uh, of, about you uh, starting Atlanta Blockchain Center in the Atlanta Business Chronicle. Uh, and then cold DMing you and being like, "Yo, yeah, what's up?" Like, <laughs> I, I want to be a part of this because, like, it, it, there there's so little opportunity to meet up with people in real world unless you're willing to go do the whole conference thing, which I'm not discouraging. I've enjoyed myself at conferences, um, but it's so temporary. Uh, it requires a lot of coordination. Um, but having a mainstay, a place to go, um, to meet people, uh, to get educated uh it is it was it was needed it was needed and and every time i come up to the atlanta blockchain center i meet at least one more new person right yeah um what what you have uh, built there uh is it's 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 amazing uh to say the least i i i have we're recording this episode in november uh i will be releasing it uh in december but i have I can safely say of my 30 some odd episodes that I've recorded that in some, maybe not direct, but like maybe second order, uh, related, almost half my episodes have come from it, come from you, uh, in the place. And so I don't, I know that this is about, the episode is about you, but, um, just this, this is, this is amazing what you're doing, um, here at Atlanta blockchain center and the, and, and the approach is a long-term one too. It's not like you're, you're hopping in and trying to get everybody to come, you know, buy office space there and like do all the stuff. Like, you're like, all right, what's first education. And like, as you know, with my new focus for the show, it is all about changing that perception problem. And the way that we do that is by providing environments, safe environments for kids and adults to enjoy themselves right i always see your i've met your sons up there um you know it's it's really cool to see that that they are participating in the atlanta blockchain center um and i I brought my kid to web 3 atl uh this past weekend Uh, he was a hit (laughs) i don't think many people see a five-year-old at these conferences (laughs) but you know i just it's 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 really plugging the gap right Uh, And I know you have a big vision for Atlanta based off of these factors that you've talked about. Um, What else can you share about the Atlanta blockchain center and your vision that you feel like uh, would help the audience understand why this is so important?
1: Oh man, that's, uh, I love to discuss that. I think, you know, having now, um, you know, experience web one, web two, and, and now web three, I can confidently say that blockchain technology is going to touch everyone's lives in the future in a very big way. And just like the technologies before it, it will usually go unnoticed by a significant portion of the people uh, that it's going to impact. But that's great because it leaves um, you know this huge gap of opportunity for people like us, people like you know uh, you with your education initiative and podcasts, and you know so so it's it's going to transform our lives same way some Web two uh, businesses have and Web one now I mentioned how powerful Atlanta is from an economic perspective and culture and so forth, and um, I really believe that we have the power to elevate Atlanta, at least, um, you know, in the eyes of industry builders and investors in Web3 to be a place that they want to come and invest their next, you know, and build their next businesses. But it's going to take a lot of effort, right? It's going to take a lot of collaboration with what you're doing is amazing, what we're doing at the blockchain center, what a new way is doing, um, what blockchain Georgia Tech is doing, you know, um, plan profit, I mean, there's so many people here that are passionate about web three, and in their own way, they're contributing. And it's the same thing that happened in Miami. Again, I recall when it was very little to no activity happening in Miami around blockchain and crypto, it wasn't this sudden boom overnight. These were things that were happening behind the scenes. Um, And when we got the right people involved more and more, like the mayor of Miami, that's when you know non-Miamians started paying attention but there was a ton of work being done behind the scenes and the same thing is happening here in atlanta and the reason i think is important is it's home now i love to live in winning cities uh, blockchain is all i'm going to be doing for the foreseeable future i have no interest in anything else uh, like web 2 or you know all, all the traditional like SaaS and cloud and Absolutely no interest in any of that. It's either blockchain or bust for me. Um, So naturally I'd like to see the community thrive. And I believe that having a physical uh, facility, a pillar that you can always point to to say that is an organization, an entity that's helping drive blockchain forward in Atlanta is key. Um, And the compensation will come later You know, we think that um, we're going to launch some amazing projects through the Atlanta Blockchain Center. Uh, The work that we set out to do, although we've done a lot in the last five months, we haven't even touched on it. Right. Most. um, You know, mostly because of the market climate today. But and, you know, Atlanta Blockchain Center has proven to be a great source of education and networking. Um, we have yet to prove ourselves as a great source for fundraising and investing. And that's next. So pretty soon in Atlanta, <laughs> companies are going to, you know, uh, aspiring or, or, or established founders who are building in Web3 can say, hey, I can go to ABC and find funding. I mean, we're not going to fund everybody, but there's a process for that. There's an established process um to raising funds for your projects in web3 it goes back
0: to your word launchpad right like it it it, it isn't uh, 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 a retail vc shop where you could just come in <laughs> and order <laughs> funding right uh, <laughs> this is a place where you can go to find the network that you need to be successful that's exactly. that's what i hear you saying right absolutely you know
1: and um <clears throat> the uh uh, our success to me isn't we're, we're not going to, you know, look at the, the next year to, to gain success. We're, we're really looking at five to 10 years. Uh, you know, I'd like to, I'm just going to keep busting my ass for the next, you know, four years. I'm there with you <laughs> to help contribute and elevate the city uh, to be a blockchain innovation hub and then figure out okay, you know what am I going to get out of this now <laughs> right uh, because now it's you know pure purely investing in in Atlanta um, the pay pay would come later the The last thing I would like to mention that I think is equally important is one of the biggest initiatives that spearheaded the movement in Miami was a conference, an industry conference. And it was a North American Bitcoin conference. Uh, and that's why next summer we're going to be launching, hosting a conference called Immutable. So the Immutable conference is going to be held at the Fox Theater downtown. Uh, we've been working on this stealthily for the last two months. We have a um, Almost 40 speakers already uh, and 10 sponsors. Um, Lots of activity. We have a website. We haven't publicly announced it yet. We have a full agenda. Uh, The first day before the opening, we're gonna have a tour of Atlanta, taking VIPs to Atlanta Tech Village. And all these names I'm gonna mention, they already agreed by the way. That's how far we are into this thing. love it. Atlanta Tech Village. Then we're going to take them to uh, ATDC. We're going to take them to Peachtree Corners. We're going to, go have, we're going to go to ABC, of course. We're going to go have lunch at Twin Peaks. Then we're going to have an open party at ATV on the rooftop to kick off the conference. And the next day, we're going to go to the Fox. We're going to have some amazing sessions. Uh, Jeff Garsik is coming back. Um, you know, We have uh, Dennis Lockhart, who's a former CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Uh, We have a ton of industry insiders, you know, of course, folks like Justin Daniels and so many other people on board already that this is going to be huge. This is going to help bring eyes outside of Atlanta that's involved in Love Blockchain to start looking at the city Um, because that's part of the formula, you know. It's, it's part of the formula of elevating this metro area as a an innovation hub for blockchain. So, our weekly events will continue, our incubation will continue. And This large conference is going to be sort of the culmination of all of that. Um, but I think one of the one of the most important part. Parts of the conference for me will be the pitch fest. Because all the companies that we incubate, they're gonna pitch at the competition. Um, they're gonna they're gonna compete at the pitch competition. And that's when we're gonna start funding our first one to three companies. We haven't decided. Um, we have Tim Doors at Tech Stars. He's gonna help prepare them for the uh, the pitch fest to get their pitches right. He's also gonna be a judge at the pitch fest. I mean, just sharing some alpha with you, with showing you how much detail has already gone into this, um, without announcing it yet, officially. (laughs) (laughs) You got a few
0: weeks between this recording and launch, too. So if we need to go back and add a few uh, moderators or speakers there that happen to run this show, you know, there's also room for that, so... (laughs) sounds good <laughs> <laughs> uh, no man it's it, it is it's uh, all jokes aside um it, it's a trajectory right like you are building the trajectory to go up and to the right um it is it starts with built like figuring out how serious people are here and the people that show up week after week at the atlanta blockchain center contributing to, to growing that network providing a good experience there um which you know i've feel like every time I've been there, which is uh, quite a bit, anytime I can uh, get my wife to agree to let me run away for six to eight on a Thursday, I'm there. Uh, and it, it, everybody is so enthusiastic. You, I talked to people last night when well, we're recording this in November, but last night that were, they were part of those early groups, part of the ones that you were going to. And they were like, well, what happened to those? But now they have this and they're so excited to have this. Um, so, you know, big pat on the back to you and Angela and the rest of the team uh, at, at Atlanta Blockchain Center. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about the conference. Uh, contribute in any way that, that you'll let me contribute uh, because I, I, too, agree. I love this freaking city. Like, I do. I'm born and bred this. In fact, uh, just a, a funny aside, uh, I own uh, season tickets to the Atlanta United uh, and everybody's like, oh, are you a huge soccer fan? I'm like, no, not really. Um, I'm actually a fan of anything that unifies Atlanta. Uh, and, and, you know, all puns aside, this is the first time we've ever had a team in the city where everybody's a fan because everybody's a transplant here, right? And to me, that's what's important is to watch this city grow. Because when I grew up here, it was like just a bunch of suburbs. Uh, there was not like, it wasn't like a desirable place to live. But in the past 10 years, Atlanta's changed. It is a mecca for culture, for hip-hop, for just, like, diversity in general. I get reverse culture shock when I go to other cities. I'm like, where where is it? This is, like, all white people, right? Like, this is, like, really boring. Atlanta has so much vibrance and depth to the city. Um, So thank you for, like adding this on top, right? To add the technology, the future, to bring the futurists in into the city is magical, man. So thank you, Marlon. Um, We are uh, nearing time. Um, So I do want to wrap this up. Um, My traditional closing questions, I have two of them. Uh, The first one is, um, how do you describe Web3?
1: It's simple. It's the age of... Um, our digital lives where we get to contribute and control uh, a large part of it, a larger part of it than uh, we have in the past. I mean, it's really that simple. We can get into the weeds about digital ledger uh, technologies, distributed ledger technologies and this and that and consensus algorithms and so forth. But the majority of people aren't going to give a shit about that. Um, What they're going to care about is when they realize that this social media network that they're using that's getting track that um, you know that's getting traction is compensating them for being part of the network, uh, they're going to incrementally go towards that. I mean, it's 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 Web three is going to naturally sort of get into people's lives in ways that they won't expect it. But it really is that simple.
0: I love that. And I think it is important to avoid uh, unless, unless there is a purpose behind the developer speak, the consensus, the trustless aspect, the nodes like that that is all part of it and what makes it possible, but for people to understand it like in the mainstream, they they don't necessarily need to know that part of it. I think that the industry has been way too focused on it uh, to begin with, which is is fine. That's how it starts with tech, right? It's the reason the tech exists is because developers. And so developers are going to form a lot of the early narratives uh, and framing and terminology and stuff like that, but it's exciting to see it growing and seeing institutional adoption with Starbucks and Reddit um, that are, are really solidifying uh, the space as a legitimate improver of previous experiences, mm-hmm. right? Um, so my final closing question is forward-looking. Um, I ask, where do you see yourself in the next 6 to 12 months? Then where do you see yourself in the next 5 to 10 years?
1: In Web3, sorry. I don't know why I didn't say that. <laughs> in Web3, in Web3. Um, in the next yeah. six to 12 months in Web3, um, you know, I would hope to have uh, invested in, you know, three, five you know, uh, companies in Atlanta that are aspiring developers, creating things in the space. I mean, that is how outside of the blockchain center and everything else that we're doing, the conference, et cetera. Uh, I would like to uh, have supported projects for aspiring entrepreneurs building the next Web3 based projects, right? And even beyond that, you know, it's let's get more products out there that are local, right? The students at Georgia Tech that are building some amazing things. Let's get them funded, let's get them out there. We need more legitimacy in the space, we need um, less. Uh, of what we've seen over the last two quarters and more uh, trust and um, uh, you know just real world ideas by real world people uh, who are who have, who have you know, moral values that they live by and they just want to contribute uh, positively to the space. So those are the kind of people I want to see. Uh, ABC support and that I personally want to invest in over the next six to 12 months and beyond. The next five to 10 years, um, you know, I'm going to be 50 years old then. So I will most likely be spending half of my day reading. Um, and the other, you know, maybe 25 percent of that is. Um, actively contributing to Web3, because in the next five to ten years, there would be enough traction where it would be self sort of organizing, self um, developing. And a lot of my efforts, you know, wouldn't be needed on a daily basis. It would be much more strategy, networking, connections, that sort of stuff. So twenty five percent of that my time would be spent doing that. And the other twenty five percent uh, with family. Hopefully I can, <laughs> I don't want my fiance to hear me say that part.
0: <laughs>
1: you. <Yeah. laughs> 50% and you
0: give 25%. Hey, me. listen, 25% is pretty good, man. We're awake for what, like 12 to 15 hours a day. That's like three or four hours. Right. Uh, you know, um, it's not bad. Uh, and then I guess in the industry in five to 10 years uh, and be as audacious as you want, where do you see web three in terms of its Impact on our lives, uh, and and you know how integrated is it into into our lives.
1: In the next five to ten years, we're certainly going to have, and this is without a doubt, uh, clarity around the regular, regulatory environment in uh, Web three, and that's by you know intrinsically going to allow more creativity uh, to happen. We're going to see a ton of different that's when you're going to see a lot of the sort of web two wave come in because now it isn't as scary to build on uh, blockchain as it is today. Right. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that we were building and we had to do anonymously or in other ways to kind of hide our identity when it's nothing bad we're doing. It's just, you know, there was a lack of, and still is lack of regulatory clarity and um, the, regulatory climate is going to be uh, known and we're gonna see a lot more you know web two the web two development community in the web two world come into into web three in the next five to ten years. It's awesome in, in waves. In in waves, yeah. And and there's
0: there's a big gap there. Uh Jonathan King, who's come to, to ABC before and was at Web3 ATL, talks about the less than 1% of 31 million developers worldwide that are actually spending their time in Web3. Right. So it's uh, it's it's great to to hear that. I I agree. You need you need some certainty around this for people to to take a plunge. Some people are willing to take it early, right? And those are the the people like yourself and, and myself that are, are okay operating in the gray area. Uh, but the, in terms of engineers, the people that are really going to build the future of web three, like they, they need a little bit more certainty around the regulatory climate before they start building these products that are highly financialized. Right. Um, So yeah, uh, Marlon, this has been awesome. Uh, I I feel like I've gotten to know you really well during this, even though I've spent a lot of time with you already. Um, I really appreciate the time. Uh, any closing thoughts that you want to share with the audience before we sign off?
1: Uh, get involved in web three and stay involved it's going to continue to change the world. Um, And you're going to miss out uh, on a great opportunity. That's it. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in
0: to web three with me. If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach, underscore French underscore.